This is the Blood Doctor Show on a Tuesday, and uh, I suppose I owe an obligatory sort of where I've been, because it's obviously been a while since I've been coming to you from the lab, the pharmacy, the studio, whatever the fuck it is you want to call my home office here. Um... As we all know, I had a kid. Woo. Exciting. It's a good time. I've talked about that before. Being a dad, obviously, has its own sets of challenges in terms of energy, time, all of those good things. Um, so I've had to recalibrate my life in terms of sleep schedule, how I allocate my time, everything like that. And that is included podcasting. But also, there were a couple other reasons. Number one, I was sitting on 69 episodes. Nice. I'm certainly not coming off 69 episodes unless I've got something, you know, absolutely fucking badass and ready to go. And, uh, you know, I've been a little not sleeping well and dealing with all these other things because of, uh, you know, being a parent. And so the other thing that, you know, I said to my manager, Bari, uh, you know, Kobe once said, I'm not going to fucking come off the bench, score 14 points a game. No, no, I'm here to be elite. And that's always going to be the same thing with me. If I can't give you, like, really good podcast. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to come in here and slur my words half drunk and all this shit I was doing on all these old episodes. Drank too much on the podcast previously, folks. I apologize. And I wasn't giving you the content that you deserve. Now, as both of you know, I don't typically care about anything but what I think. And the only thing that really matters to me is how I feel about this podcast. But hey, I'm still going to do my best to be better from now on and not slip into those bad habits because, you know, personally, it ruins the podcast and it makes me worse as a person. I'm just going to say I've been drinking too much alcohol for any parent. I'm just going to admit that here. And now I'm not. So there you go. Um, it's not like I drink and drive or anything, but still, you shouldn't be unwinding, you know, at the end of most days with alcohol. I was becoming the drunk doctor instead of the blood doctor. And that's unfucking acceptable, folks. And it won't be the case anymore. But as always, I've made it a point to be honest and upfront about everything going on with myself, because I think that for those both of you who do listen to this podcast, what makes it a good podcast is my ability to be completely upfront, completely honest about what I'm thinking, whether it's about myself, whether it's about my teams, whatever the case may be. Um, And so, yeah, if you start seeing me suddenly cranking out a bunch more episodes, you're probably going to put two and two together on that one. And, uh, you know, that's completely fine with me. So, you know, that being the case, as I said on Twitter, I've got a boatload of people coming up that are going to come on the show. I've had a whole load of people that, you know, I've wanted to come on, but for various reasons, drinking and or mental breakdowns and or just having to, uh, you know, run to the store and buy more diapers or whatever the case may be. Um, I haven't made those things happen, but you're going to start to see a slew of those things occur because I'm on it lately. And, and that's just what it is. I'm really excited to get Chris Herring on. He's going to come on here at some point. He's promised he'll come on. So I expect him to abandon that promise and block me on Twitter at any point coming soon. Just because that would be really funny. And I wouldn't even be mad at it. I mean, it would just be funny as hell, let's be honest. Um, now switching to a really kind of more serious subject for a moment. Um, that intro was a little bit lighthearted because I am who I am. And I just wanted to come on here and talk to you guys about what's been going on with me, how I'm doing, but I want to switch now and talk about something serious for a moment because there was yet another mass shooting 
in New York this morning on the subway, which people are sharing videos of on Twitter. Don't do that, by the way. Don't don't fucking be that person. Don't fucking be the person who tries so hard to get engagement that you're sharing videos of someone being shot. Like there's you can't put like, oh, trigger warning, someone getting literally fired on here. Like you literally can't fucking do that. Don't do that. Don't be that person. Don't be the person who like make someone else's loved ones horrified that the death of someone that they love was fucking shared across social media so that you could get clout. Don't be that fucking person. Okay. And more than that, don't be the fucking person who just loves guns so much that they can't see what's going on here. I'm not a person who believes that all guns need to be taken away. I'm not a person who loves guns. I understand it's a complex issue in terms of hunting and, you know, I, I get all of that. But this whole idea that we all need to carry concealed weapons on us all the time and we all need assault rifles and they should be legal, it's all bullshit. Are there legitimate uses for hunting? Sure. I'm not going to fucking argue with that bullshit. I'm not going to sit here and try to... I'm not, I, I don't want to play that game. The game I'm fucking talking about is people who say they should be able to carry concealed weapons in public, that we should just have automatic rifles. Look at what it yields. Look at what all of your policing and all of your military-style weaponry yields. The police carry them, so other people acquire them, and this is what happens. Innocent people die because of this fucking bullshit, pathetic gun culture that we have in this country. It's horrible. It's awful. Look at the culture in this country. All these motherfuckers want to carry around concealed weapons and assault rifles and try to play fucking hero or something. And it ends up with those things being legal and allowing people to get shot in a subway. And then half of the country shares that shit on social media for clout. What the fuck is wrong? What the fuck is wrong? What is going on? What are we doing? This is fucking insane to me. This is absolutely fucking insane to me. And we're reaching a point where any large mass space you go to with a lot of people is fucking dangerous. You can't be in public in the United States without putting your life at risk. That's where we are. Mass shootings are just a daily part of life in the United States now. That's just who we are. We have mass shootings. That's, that's the American thing. You know? English people don't season their food. Canadians are in snow. And Americans fucking shoot each other. Huh? Is that the fun thing? Is that the fun one to be? We're the fun country where everyone gets fucking murdered. Random people get shot in the fucking face on the subway. That's fun for you? Any fucking conservative right now who's sitting here like, well, if a good guy with a gun, fuck you. I'm tired of this bullshit. I'm so sick of all of this bullshit. We have a sickness in this culture. Okay? We are broken. And, and you, the people, oh, violent video games and violent movies. No, it's Christians. It's insane, hateful, raging Christians who think that they have to murder everything in front of them. It's always a fucking religious person. It's always something about God. And I haven't looked at what this is and I don't give a fuck because it's always some hateful, stupid fuck who thinks they have to eliminate something. And all of this shit is encouraged by right-wing, conservative, insane Christian culture. If you are a Christian, and if you are a right-wing person, you need to seriously look at the things that are said by people that align themselves with you. Because those things are what cause all of this bullshit that goes on. If you are a Democrat, you need to look at your party, which claims to be left-wing, 
And you need to see how they do nothing to curtail this. They do nothing to stop any of this. That is not what a Democrat does. Democrats increase police budgets. Democrats increase military budgets. They increase CIA and FBI budgets. Okay? We have a right-wing party and a center-right-wing party. That's what we have in this country. In fact, we have a right-wing party and a more right-wing party. That's what we have. We live in a fucking nightmare Nazi police state where mass shootings are normalized so that you can share it on Twitter and Instagram. And you put your little your little emoji on it, right? Your little crying face. Oh no, someone got shot. Smash that like button for me. What the fuck is wrong with people? We are so broken. We are so normalized to this level of violence that we're sharing it with each other. Just cuz. Hey, I want to ruin everyone else's day too. Don't be that person. And don't be the person who now wants to go get a concealed carry, whatever. We need to seriously change the way we view guns in this country. Guns are for hunting large animals that you can't bring down basically any other way. That's really what the fucking purpose of a gun is, okay? Other countries' police don't need them. Why don't you go look at statistics about how often police in other countries fire their weapons? They basically don't. And it essentially boils down to we have such a militarized police force that people have to defend themselves from police. And it ends up in a psychotic cycle where psychos have guns and regular people have guns and police have guns and mass shootings occur everywhere all the time for a whole host of fucking reasons. All of them crazy. I'm just so angry right now. I can barely collect my fucking thoughts on this issue. And it's just yet again, another example of policing doesn't work. Our concept of policing doesn't work. We give them more and more money and there are more and more mass shootings every single day. It obviously doesn't work. It doesn't fix anything. We increase police budgets all the time and there are more mass shootings all the time. Policing doesn't help. They don't prevent anything. What, does, what do police do? Tell me what police do. What do they do? How do they prevent crime? There's a mass shooting every single day. If there's a mass shooting literally every single day, then police are doing literally nothing to prevent it. Or, or is your, oh, there would be 20 mass shootings. No, there would, fucking wouldn't. The rest of the world doesn't have this problem. This is a uniquely American problem. We have turned our whole country into a prison. And it rots people's brains. There's no fucking social services for people. There's no help. Do you know what it's like to actually go get help from the government? People say, oh, you can go get medical care and health care from the government and they're on eating up my tax dollars. Do you have any idea how fucking difficult it is? How much paperwork there is? It's absurd. It's all set up to make sure that no one who ever might get an extra bit of help that they might need. We don't want to ever give anyone too much. We don't want to ever help people too much. No, no, no. We want to give all the money to the police to make everyone crazy so they'll go out and shoot their neighbors. This country is fucking sick. If you don't fucking see that, you are fucking sick and you are part of the goddamn problem. I don't mean to always get so hot about these things, but honestly, I don't really know another way.
I don't know another way to get through to people in a situation like this because it seems like all the statistics and everything that you read, all the news should tell you what you need to do, how you need to handle this situation. But most people still can't. And they still think that, you know, this will just go away or, you know, police have some value. You're just missing the point. Until we change the way that our government treats our people, things like this will continue to happen. People need help. And until we're willing to help everyone in society and get them, you know, you have to help people. You have to stop people from having everything around them degrade to the point of them doing something insane, whether it's hurting themselves, hurting other people, just dying from being sick. Like so much of what goes on is that we penalize everything about people and we just put people in jail. Oh, you're using drugs? Well, we'll just put you in jail. We won't like help you understand why you're using drugs and get you help for that. We're just going to put you in jail and we're just going to let the drugs eat your brain until you're a crazy person that robs and shoots people for drugs. And that's the point. It's like if you... Every time that you don't help people get better, you create these situations. I don't know who this mass shooter is. I don't know what his motivation was. I don't, I don't know. It, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We have a sickness in this country where we, we don't help people. We don't let them get better. We don't, we don't correct things. We just punish people. You're using drugs. You're going to jail. You committed a crime. You're going to jail. We're not helping anyone get better. And it just makes them get worse and worse and worse until these things occur. Or, you know, some of the times they have their, you know, they have mental health problems and they're, you know, they're seeing shit and they're, they're having violent tendencies and the state doesn't help them and doesn't give them the proper medical care and this happens. Or a domestic abuser is threatening a woman and they tell the police over and over, hey, he's threatening me. And the police are like, well, we can't do anything. And then he kills the woman. Like, there are so many situations where police prevent just nothing. And people don't see it. We have a sickness in this country. We have we have a, a sick, in, just infatuation with violence. And I'm not talking about movies and video games. I'm talking about real fucking life. I'm talking about true crime podcasts being interesting to people and being a cool, sexy way to spend your evening with a glass of wine. Ooh, people getting murdered. It's fucked up, man. We're fucked up. We're a fucked up group of people. And it is because... We're just, we're, we've been brainwashed and trained to believe that all these things are just acceptable and fine. And it, and it's embarrassing and it's sad. And I don't, I don't have the solution to everything. I'm not Mr. Know-it-all or something, but I know that this shit is wrong. And I know that someone out there is smart enough to tell you ways that we can fix it and you won't listen to them. So I'm sitting here standing, screaming, just fucking listen to people Listen to doctors, listen to scientists, listen to people who actually know what they're talking about. Don't listen to a crazy freak screaming on local radio. If you're going to listen to that crazy freak screaming on local radio, listen to me. I'm a crazy freak screaming on a podcast. Shouldn't my words have as much value as some dumbass on local radio who's making shit up? Like, if you're going to listen to screaming, my voice is louder. Listen to scientists. Fucking change this shit. Intersectionality. There are so many problems in this country and all of it comes from white nationalism and white supremacy. That is the truth. Okay. Now we're going to talk about sports. And I know that that's an impossible transition, but you know, 
this is primarily a sports podcast, but I've got to rant sometimes about how I feel about other things. But part of life in this world that they've created for us is that you must deal with violence every single day, normalize it, and then move on to something else. And so that's what I'm going to have to do in this podcast and now start talking about something else. Because if I don't, I'm going to have a mental breakdown over sadness, over mass shootings in this country every day. And also, well, no, there's no also. That's just what's going to go on. So I'm going to try to not deal with it by talking about basketball. And I'd like to talk about one of my favorite subjects in the world. And I wish that uh, B was here because I would really drag him for this one. But since he's not here, he doesn't get to rebut any of my comments or make any uh, contrarian opinions. So I said the Lakers wouldn't make the playoffs. I said it on this podcast, in fact. I think I said they wouldn't make the play-in, I believe is what I said. And lo and behold, and they want to sit here and blame injuries, and Anthony Davis wants to still talk about the first round last year, and they fired Frank Vogel. (laughs) The Lakers are a shit show. They're a fucking joke, and it's tremendous. I absolutely love it. I really do. I am someone who loves LeBron James. I am just like the rest of you. I think he's, you know, a top two all-time player. I think he's incredible. He does things that, to this day, at his age, that I still can't believe. LeBron is phenomenal. But the minute that he signed up with the Lakers, well... (laughs) Now I became a certified hater. Not a certified LeBron hater, but just a certified Laker LeBron hater. I can still talk about the Cavs and Heat years with reverence and respect, but this LeBron Lakers team, well, it's it's pretty goddamn funny. Um, I mean, it's all worth it in the end, right? The Lakers got their championship. And, um, you know, the bubble championship gets more and more interesting by the day. And actually, when you look at, you know, some of LeBron's championships, like, he got the championship in the you know the the shortened season after the lockout. He got the bubble championship. Like LeBron wins titles in weird circumstances. Like everything's not going right. Shit's kind of fucked up. LeBron comes through and wins the title. And some people will try to diminish him for that. And I've at times been like, oh, I don't know about that. But it's also kind of interesting. It's like when shit's at its worst, LeBron finds a way. You know, you can look at that however you want. You could you know there will be people who say, oh, whatever. The, you know, the Mickey Mouse title is what a lot of people refer to the bubble title as. You know, if the Suns had won that title, if they had snuck into the playoffs and somehow made a run, I wouldn't be calling it a Mickey Mouse title. So I'm not going to do that to the Lakers. But it is worth noting that LeBron has, you know, some interesting championship history in terms of, you know, having won in these kind of weird situations. You can look at that however you want to. But... It is worth it for the Lakers. Again, they got a championship. So anytime you get a championship, you know, you tear down your team, you rebuild and you get a title, you pretty much have to rank it rank it as worth it. But um, <laughs> everything they've done since then has been a fucking clusterfuck disaster. And it's super funny. You know, they got rid of all the players that, you know, helped them get there and brought in Russell Westbrook. And we don't need to chronicle what a horrible fucking fit it is, but it is just really funny that, LeBron for the super genius he is. LeBron is the smartest person in the NBA world. I mean, he has, you know, he can literally remember every single play that he's ever been in. LeBron's a genius. He's he's like a literal actual genius, not just like a I'm not like, "Oh, he's a basketball genius." Like LeBron is literally has a genius IQ. He's literally of such high intelligence that most of us could not possibly compute what he does. That's part of the reason his greatness. He's just He's smarter than most of us. And that's also why he's so annoying, by the way, is like, you have all that physical talent and you're also that smart. Like, can you just leave something for the rest of us, dude? Come on. Anyway, 
part of LeBron's greatness is his genius. And the fact that with all of his foresight, his intelligence, his ability to whip passes and see the plays ahead of time as they before they even developed, he couldn't fucking see the train wreck that was coming with the Russell Westbrook thing. And, and all of us could. All of us on NBA Twitter could. The NBA media at large could not, but we could. And I know for a fact that the Lakers' thought process was Russell Westbrook is going to allow LeBron James to coast in the regular season because he's going to kind of play Russ ball and, you know, Anthony Davis's will be the scoring engine. And then LeBron gets to close games. You know, he gets to do some more load management, kind of on-court load management like LeBron likes to do at times. And it's just going to make things easier for LeBron. That was the Lakers' thought process. That absolutely was the thought process. And that was LeBron's thought process, too, was that he wouldn't have to play point guard. Russ could do that work. And, you know, Anthony Davis could, you know, he could kind of hand things off and it would give LeBron the ability to coast in the regular season until the playoffs. That was the plan. That was absolutely the plan. Anyone who tells you otherwise is, I, I guarantee fucking to you that was the Lakers' plan. And it was never going to work because Russell Westbrook isn't that good anymore. We, we can argue about, you know, what Russell Westbrook was at his peak. There's no question he was a phenomenal player. Do you think he was a an all-timer or just outside of an all-timer, whatever. He was phenomenal at his peak. Was he the MVP? Should he have won the MVP? Is the triple-doubles amazing? Blah, blah. We could argue about all of that, whatever. But there's no arguing that Russell Westbrook is a bad basketball player at this point. And it's not because he can't do good things, but it's because he refuses to become a role player. We all know all of these things. I'm not saying anything new. I'm not saying it hasn't been said a billion times right now. We all know the situation with Russell Westbrook, except for apparently LeBron, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis. Also interesting, Anthony Davis continually not being able to take over the mantle from LeBron. LeBron had to compete for the scoring title to keep the Lakers in the chase for the play-in because Anthony Davis was so ineffective, not only in terms of just being injured, but even when he was on the court. Shot fucking 18% from three this year. 18%! From the U.S. slash uh, whoever three-point line. Like, it's it's just, that was, that was 18%. 18%. You shouldn't be a high-volume three-point shooter shooting at 18%. And I'm not even talking about Russell Westbrook when I say that. I mean, nothing worked for them this season. And you could see it coming from a mile away. They won a title with depth and then decided they didn't need any boggles my mind and now this shit all gets tied up around Frank Vogel <laughs> that's funny as hell I mean here's the thing Frank was never the Lakers first choice I don't even know if he was their second choice third choice as we all know the Lakers hired Frank Vogel because they felt that they could control him and they largely could and you know he was going to be fired very soon regardless of how this went unless he was just winning titles every year the first second they could fire Frank Vogel and hire whatever name coach they could. They were going to do that. Everyone fucking knew that. And, you know, Frank was willing to accept the payday and get himself a ring in the process. And also, you know, he's earned himself back a ton of respect. Let's not forget, Frank Vogel was widely very respected as Pacers coach, right? 2013 Eastern Conference Finals, he's got Paul George playing LeBron to a duel. They didn't quite prevail, but everyone respected Frank Vogel. Then he goes to Orlando and says things like, I can make Aaron Gordon our Paul George, or I think Aaron Gordon can be our Paul George, you know, and, you know, we know what a disaster that was. So Frank Vogel, you know, the shine had come off the apple a bit. 
And I know that things haven't ended well him for him with the Lakers, but he coached the team to a title. And then the minute that they went away from what he wanted them to do, everything fell apart. And the way that people feel about Frank Vogel now is that he certainly deserves some blame, but that not everything was his fault. And I think that if you look at where he was, you know, post his magic stint, where everyone, you know, kind of just thought, oh, this guy, you know, when the Lakers hired him, people were like, what? At least now people kind of respect him again. I think he'll get another shot somewhere. Um, but who knows? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know Frank Vogel, but I know he's like a basketball lifer. And I can't imagine that he's not going to want another shot at it. And, you know, if you're looking to hire a coach, bringing in a guy who has a ring, it doesn't matter what the situation is. When you can slam that championship ring on the table and say, look what I've done, people will listen. And it doesn't matter if it was a title one with LeBron or a title one in the bubble, blah, blah, blah. Rings mean everything. And it matters. And he'll get a job somewhere. So, you know, I always liked Frank Vogel. I hated him when he took the Lakers job. Now I can like him again. It works for me. But I really enjoyed that. And another fun thing about this is I think we've proven that the play-in tournament is a success, which is another fun part of, you know, LeBron said the guy who came up with the play-in tournament should be fired. And now we see that the play-in tournament's a really good idea because LeBron was competing for it this year. Funny how those things go. That guy should not have been fired. But the play-in tournament is a success. You know, there are still some teams that are tanking down the stretch of this season. I know that. But there are fewer of them. And for the most part, it's teams that were really so far away from the play-in that, you know, they couldn't, you know, have dreamed of getting there. Take a look at the Pelicans. They started like 1-20 in 20 or something. Some absurd number. Okay? Shout to Willie Green, former Suns assistant in his first year as head coach. The Pelicans, in probably any other year, would have just folded. But they got their shit going. They turned it around and then they added CJ McCollum and they fought their way in. And that's really the thing. Like it's really impressive what, what you can do when you try, you can really turn your season around. You can really make things happen. And the Pelicans are a team that would have quit in the past. And this year they said, no, there's a reason for us to go for it because we have an opportunity to make this tournament that gets us towards the playoffs. In the past, they'd be like, ah, fuck it, we'll just tank this season. We're not going to get anywhere near it. You know, whatever. And, th and this is this is exactly why the play-in exists. To give teams that had a rough start for whatever reason. You know, this team was expecting to maybe have Zion. They didn't. You know, you got a new head coach, whole new situation. But it's giving teams that had an absurdly rough head start a chance to battle their way back, not to make the playoffs, but just for a shot at a tournament to give them a chance to make the playoffs. The play-in is not the playoffs. You know, people ask that question. Zach Lowe has asked that question. Do you consider the play-in tournament the playoffs? It is not. It is the play-in. It is a completely separate tournament. It is post-season because it's not the regular season anymore. I'll give you post-season if you want to do that way. But even then, I don't even really think it's post-season. I think it's the purgatory between the regular season and post-season. Because if you lose in the play-in, how can you even say, oh, we made it to the postseason? That just seems so, so ridiculous to me. It's not the playoffs, but it is a success and it is a good idea because it's making teams compete more down the stretch. This year, I think, was proof. The original idea of it for the bubble made perfect sense. Karis LeVert, 22-footer, the Suns nearly got their way in. But the point is, it was conceived in a situation where it was kind of necessary, but now it's not necessary, but still very good. I'm very excited to watch these play-in games. And I'm excited for the way that teams handled 
their season with the play-in. Did the Blazers tank? Yes. Did the Thunder tank? Yes, but they were going to do that anyway. We know that. Look at the Spurs. Another team that started in a tough situation and fought their way back and overtook the Lakers and kicked their asses out. Chris Herring at one point said, uh, he tweeted something like, you know, I keep thinking the Lakers are going to mess around and miss the play-in. But then I remember the bottom of the West is a struggle bucket. Well, look what happens when you fucking mess around and don't give a shit. Someone else will come take your spot. And that is what happened to the Lakers and they're done. And I fucking enjoy it. I'm, I'm happy about it. Um, I love the play-in tournament. And let's talk about the, the play-in games themselves. I don't know if the Nets-Cavaliers game is going to happen today because that shooting was in Brooklyn. I'm not trying to... It doesn't matter, right? The shooting is... Loss of life is way more important than basketball. But this game could be postponed. I don't know what's going to occur. Um, so, you know, there's some possibility of... You know, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen there. That being said... Jared Allen is supposed to miss the game if it is played today. And I would imagine if it was rescheduled tomorrow, he's still going to miss it. I would, my assumption is going to be the Nets are going to win this game. That's where I'm at on this. We all love what the Cavs have done this season. It's been awesome and fun to watch, but they've just been dealt, you know, too many injuries, too many setbacks. It sucks, but it's just going to be really tough for them to continue to overcome this. And I think just in this scenario, um, I'm going to take the Nets in that game. Um, Clippers and Timberwolves is also today. Um, you know, interestingly enough, I'm on the Timberwolves on this one. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, with everything that's been going on with the Clippers, Paul George coming back the way they played all this year and handled themselves. I think a lot of people are going to be on the Clippers and rightly so. Um, but the Wolves have gone to a different level this year and I think they're at home. Um, or, I mean, I know they're at home. I think that they're going to be, the fans are going to be rocking. They're excited, you know. The Wolves have a future. They just gave Chris Finch an extension. They love what he's doing with the team. He really has turned things around. You know, we all love Ty Lue. I just, I really, I'm riding with the Timberwolves in this one. I think they're going to get the job done. And, you know, it's an exciting time for Minnesota fans. Maybe we'll uh, one day get that Booker uh, Towns Western Conference Finals I've been tweeting about forever. Uh, And then the games tomorrow, Hornets at Hawks and Spurs Pelicans. Um, you know, I think Hornets Hawks, you know, it could be a really fun game uh, because it could be a ton of back and forth. You've got LaMelo and you've got Trey Young. But I think that we've all seen what Trey Young does on big stages. And I think that it would be foolish to do anything other than pick the Hawks in this one. Because, I mean, it, there's just, you know, I, I'm not even picking against the spread here. I haven't even looked at those. Honestly, I'm just talking about the games themselves. And I just think we've all seen Trey Young on a big stage. We know what he's going to do. And so I would just be so shocked if the Hawks lost that game. Uh, and then Spurs Pelicans, you know, that's a tough one. It could be a toss up. You've got Pop uh, and you've got, you know, Willie Green. So you've got, you know, maybe, you know, the second most successful coach of all time or third most successful coach of all time. And then you've got, you know, a rookie head coach in his first year. You know, these are kind of the fun things, right? You got a legend in Pop. You've got a young guy in Willie Green. And they're both, you know, coaching for their lives, trying to get into this playoff scenario. Um, you know, normally I would, you know, I would love to pick the Pelicans. They're at home. I love Willie Green a lot because he comes from the Suns. I like CJ McCollum. Brandon Ingram's awesome. You know, it's a fun team. But, I mean, we're talking about a one game. You know, this is one game right now, just this one game, where it's Pop 
and um, it's Pop, man. I, I hate him. I fucking hate him so much, but it's Pop. And you're telling me that Pop can't win one game in New Orleans, which is probably like the most friendly road environment, you know, in the league. I just, yeah. With the way that DeJounte Murray has played this year, I just, um, or DeJounte Murray, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, just give me the Spurs. I'm, t- I'm taking the Spurs. Um, so those are the play-in tournament predictions for me. Um, again, Nets, Wolves, Hawks, Spurs. Um, so I'm taking three home teams and one road team. So I guess that's uh, some foolishness for me, but what are you going to do? But now, this is the best part for me. This is the part where B usually freaks out and tries to counter every single thing that I say. Because now we're going to talk about my teams and what a fucking year this has been. We'll keep with basketball. Let's talk about Chris Paul. Let's talk about how Chris Paul is Tom Brady. Chris Paul comes to your franchise and lifts you up. Tom Brady has done it in two places. Chris Paul has done it in like five. I guess I should be saying Tom Brady is Chris Paul. Except, you know, Tom Brady has seven rings. Chris Paul has a one one. The point is, when they show up, your fortunes change. And everything about Chris Paul that everyone has said about championships and blah, 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 blah. All that shit's about to change. Think about John Elway. John Elway is regarded, and in Denver is regarded, as like one of the all-time greats. Everyone loves him. Two Super Bowl rings, right? But people forget, or at least the young ones don't know, all the Super Bowl losses before he even got those rings. He won those rings in the last years of his career. And then ascended to greatness. When other people for a long time said, you know, John Elway can't win the game. He's a choker, blah, blah, blah. He was dragging garbage teams to Super Bowls and losing. No one gave him respect. And Chris Paul has done that. But now he's finally not on, you know, just a good team or picking up a garbage team. Now he has come to a great team. And the last years of his career, what will hopefully be like the next four years or five years, are going to be spent winning rings, a lot like John Elway. And it's going to elevate him in the discussion above so many people who have incorrectly been put above him. Chris Paul is the point god. He is the best true point guard of all time. Okay? Now, Magic is the best point guard of all time because Magic played the game in a way that No one had ever seen the game played before, really. And really only LeBron has been able to play like Magic since Magic. I'm not trying to necessarily say Chris Paul is better than Magic. Again, Magic has the rings. But I'm just saying, as a pure point guard, as a person who controls the court, in the half court, in the full, it just, that is what Chris is. He is the point god. Magic Johnson was... Magic. He was something more than just that. Chris Paul is just the most rigorous, hardworking, you know, rigid, mathematical point guard ever. He is just the purest of the pure passers. And you can tell me Stockton, you know, oh, he's got so many more assists. Whatever, man. Like, Stockton's assist numbers are amazing, but when every single play is designed to get you an assist, you're going to get an assist. 
Chris Paul controls the entire game, regardless of whether or not he actually even is scoring or getting assists. Now, he gets assists all the time, but he also gets everyone into their sets and makes everything happen. And sometimes he's off ball when those situations occur. And he's basically a coach on the floor, and it works phenomenally. Chris Paul, there just should just be some award for, like, the veteran who impacts their team most. Like, there should just be, like, the veteran award for a guy who comes in and just provides the most veteran impact. Chris Paul would win that fucking award every year. Let's call it the Chris Paul Award. And this year's Chris Paul Award goes to Chris Paul. I'm giving it right here. That's a new thing we're doing on the Blood Doctor Show. Count it, locked in. I snap my fingers three times. That's a new thing we do too. So the Chris Paul Award goes to Chris Paul for being a veteran and lifting your team with that veteran leadership. Now let's talk about MVP. And you know who my pick for MVP is. And it should be your pick. Devin Armani Booker. Devin Booker is the MVP, okay? He's the best player on the best team. A team that won 64 fucking games. By any traditional criteria, that is the MVP. I'm not trying to shit on Joel Embiid. I'm not trying to shit on Nikola Jokic. I'm not trying to shit on Giannis. They're all phenomenal. They're all phenomenal players having phenomenal seasons. Devin Booker is the engine of the best team in the league. That's the MVP. As countless people have pointed out on Twitter lately, Devin Booker will constantly give up touches to make sure that the rest of his team has the ball. He's not selfish. He's constantly moving the ball. If the play doesn't call for him to do anything other than pass it to the next guy, he will do that because he prioritizes winning. And by the way, making winning plays is what an MVP does. Okay? An MVP has statistical greatness. Devin Booker has that. An MVP makes winning plays. Devin Booker does that. An MVP plays hard on defense. Devin Booker plays hard on defense. Is he an elite defender? I'm not going to sit here and say he is, but he's probably the best defensive two-guard in the league. Two-guard is a position depth, uh, completely bereft of, of good defenders. There are some, but for the most part, the really best defenders in the league are wings. And if you're going to tell me, Every wing is suddenly a two guard just to say that, you know, Booker's not the best. Like, come on, look at the other two guards. How many two guards are there even in the league like now? Classic true two guards. Guys like James Harden, not a better defender than Devin Booker. Doesn't even try. Zach Levine, not a better defender than Devin Booker. In fact, a much worse defender than Devin Booker. The list goes on and on. Clay Thompson was once a better defender than Devin Booker. Not anymore. Okay. Devin is a two-way player. He is an elite two-way player. He is an elite passer. His passing is probably the most underrated part of his game because despite the fact that he has become a very good, solid defender, he is an elite passer. The Suns just don't ask him to do it all the time because now we have Chris fucking Paul. But people don't want to look at the fact that Booker averaged 25-7 and seven on a team of G-leaguers. With guys who couldn't even score, he was still getting seven assists a game. And then, you know, his statistics didn't matter then. Oh, he's an empty calories player. Now that he's putting up stats on the best team in the league, well, it's Jokic, more stats. That's because Jokic has higher usage. Devin Booker could put up the stats of any of these players. He could put up a Luka Doncic stat line if he had that usage. Give Devin Booker the keys, put the team around him, and let him take up every single play. And yeah, you'll probably win fewer games because that's not winning fucking basketball, but he'll put up ungodly stat lines like some of these other dudes do. No, no, no. Devin Booker is the closer. 
He is the tip of the fucking spear, okay? He is the dagger that goes into your heart that closes the goddamn door on your season. That's who Devin fucking Booker is, okay? That is who the MV goddamn P is. And I guess I'm just going to have to settle for finals MVP because we all know that Jokic or Embiid is going to win MVP. Fine. You guys go with, you know, your big man who finished with a three or four seed or whatever the fuck it is. I'll take the guy with the number one seed on the best team in the league who's about to lead his team to a fucking finals and for the first time in that team's history win those goddamn finals. That's what Devin Booker is about to do. He is the engine of the best team in the league. He is the most valuable player. I am happy to see how many people have voted Devin Booker All-NBA First Team. That's awesome. I'm glad to see that people are at least understanding that he's one of the five best players in the NBA. And it's fucking stupid to say otherwise. Absolutely agreed. But it's more than that. Devin Booker should be the MVP this year. He is the engine of the best team. He is the leading statistical player on the best team. And he scores more with fewer touches than dudes on other teams because he's wildly efficient. It's just it's just ridiculous. I know that Jokic is ridiculously efficient. I know that Embiid is amazing on defense. He's two-way. I, I know all of that. But look at who's won 64 games. It's really incredible putting up numbers and losses, apparently. Winning fucking counts. Everyone told me that winning was what mattered when nobody was looking at Devin Booker as an all-star when the Suns weren't winning. Now that the Suns are winning, well, it's all about stats. You move the fucking goalposts all the time and you know it. And it's bullshit. Devin Booker is the MVP. And he's going to win finals MVP this season when we fucking win the finals. And all anyone is going to remember from this season is that Booker should have won the MVP. And that's a goddamn fact. Everyone is going to look back on this season after he wins finals MVP. And they're going to ask, why, why, why didn't Booker win MVP? Multiple of Devin Booker's MVP seasons. This shit's going to happen. They're going to be like, oh, look at this other dude. And we're going to look back and be like, dude, this is another one of Booker's MVPs. That's just, that, I really hope that doesn't happen. I really fucking hope people get their heads on straight and see that this dude is the fucking man. He is the best scorer in this league outside of Kevin Durant. Yes, I said it. Devin Booker can score on anyone from anywhere at any time. Okay? He is the best scorer in this league outside of Kevin Durant. He's not quite Kevin Durant. I'll give you that. But Devin Booker can score on anyone at any time. Split a double team. He can score from the mid-range. He can score from the post. He can hit triples. He'll get to the line when he wants to. He can do anything he wants. Devin Booker can score from fucking anywhere. Devin Booker has Kobe's game and Michael Jordan's game all rolled into one like nice little package. You think I'm full of shit? Go watch them. Go watch how many of their moves that he has, he has packaged. And I know that Kobe took a bunch of Michael's moves. That's the point. He spent all of his life learning their goddamn moves. He came into the league with some of Kobe's moves as a rookie. That's who this kid is. That's how polished his game was as a rookie and no one was paying attention. Devin Booker is the MVP. Put your fucking glasses on. Watch some fucking Suns games. Pay goddamn attention. Learn. That's what I say. We all know that Mikhail Bridges is the defensive player of the year. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows it. Everyone's looking at each other like it's obviously Mikhail Bridges. And yet, someone's going to give it to a center just because it's been that way for a while. They feel an obligation. Well, he's tall and near the rim. So what? Mikhail Bridges takes on the other team's best player every single goddamn night. 
Mikhail Bridges is one of the few dudes in the league who can guard almost anyone on the court. Almost anyone on the court. I don't know if he can guard a lot of centers. Fine. But he can guard one through four all over the place. And by the way, his arms are long enough to bother centers. I wouldn't want to play him at center. But he's certainly going to be able to block some shots you wouldn't fucking believe. Because Mikhail Bridges has the longest arms ever recorded in human history. I believe they're 85,000 feet long. Mikhail Bridges is an unbelievable switch defender, an unbelievable team defender, an unbelievable one-on-one defender. He can do literally fucking everything. He's an elite pick-and-roll defender. He's a great rim protector, despite the fact that he's not big enough to play center. Yes, he's a wing. Yes, I understand that centers always win defensive player of the year. It's fucking bullshit. Mikhail Bridges is a defensive player of the year. If you were right now building a defense and you said, I need one defensive player for the next 10 years, you'd be stupid if you chose anyone over Mikhail Bridges. He is literally the most versatile defender in the entire league. Can he defend the biggest of bigs? No. But those dudes can't defend 90% of the people that Mikhail defends. And Mikhail can defend most of the people that those dudes defend. That's the fucking point. Oh, I've got a big center. He's going to prevent all these plays at the rim. Yeah, Mikhail can guard all of those dudes as well. Mikhail can guard all over the court and erase so many mistakes. What Rudy Gobert does for the Jazz at the rim, Mikhail Bridges can do for the Suns on the wing. Which makes DeAndre Ayton's job so much easier. And by the way... While we're talking about underrated defenders, I'm fucking tired of Suns fans talking shit about DeAndre Ayton, and I'm tired of other people talking shit about DeAndre Ayton. If you think DeAndre Ayton is a bad defender, you are stupid and you don't know anything about basketball. If you think DeAndre Ayton is a bad defender, you don't watch the Suns play. I love JaVale McGee. I love JaVale McGee so much. But watch 10 minutes of the Suns. And watch DeAndre Ayton close off, drive to the rim, after drive to the rim, after drive to the rim, and watch JaVale McGee get backdoored a few times. JaVale has a ton of strengths as a center, but he gets backdoored. DeAndre Ayton is so good at rotating to prevent any sort of play at the rim. Does he do it every time? No. But you can watch him completely shut down the paint for minutes of a game in ways that other guys can't. If you think DeAndre Ayton is bad, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. Anyone who fucking argues with me on that is wrong. I watch every single goddamn minute of Suns basketball. I watch every single minute of this dude play. And anyone who is not sitting there like this saying, this guy's great, you're an idiot. I don't mean to be Doc Rivers here, but I'm going to be Doc Rivers here. If you don't think DeAndre Ayton is good, you're a fucking idiot. His offensive growth this year was absurd. He should have gotten most improved player, at least some consideration. He he had inconsistencies. I will acknowledge that. But DeAndre Ayton's offensive package this year, the motherfucker became Hakeem Olajuwon. He's got like all this insanely quick drop step, turn fade. He's got a fucking hook shot. He's firing from the elbow on a turn fade. Like he's got all kinds of, DeAndre's killing it. No one wants to pay attention. No one wants to pay attention to the Suns at all. And between DeAndre improvement and Mikhail Bridges literally being the, you know, go on Twitter, go on Twitter. I just looked right now. Look at NBA players saying Mikhail Bridges is defense player of the year. They fucking hate playing against him. He's a nightmare. It's a nightmare to play against him. Ask the players who the defensive player of the year is. Ask the dude that they don't want guarding them. Mikhail fucking Bridges. Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges. It's just a fact. 
One through four, he can guard fucking anyone. He can fuck up all the things you want to do. He'll fuck up your pick and roll. He'll fuck up your switching scheme. He'll fuck up everything you want to do on the perimeter. Mikhail is insane. What Rudy Gobert can do at the rim, Mikhail does on the perimeter. And that's defensive player of the year shit. When it comes to coach of the year, Monty is obviously the coach of the year. But I don't want him to win it because coach of the year is a death knell that always leads to bad things in the future. It really never goes well. Look at what happened with Tibbs this year. Winning coach of the year is a curse. So while Monty should win coach of the year, I don't want him to win it. I think Taylor Jenkins from the Grizzlies will win. And that's fantastic because I would love the Grizzlies to be cursed. Monty should be the coach of the year, though. I mean, 64-win team. Come on. Like, what are, you, what, are we, what are we talking about? He's coaching the best team in the league. Like, how are you not? Give me a break. Somehow, everyone, well, the Suns don't even have stars. Then Monty Williams is the fucking coach of the year. But then you say, oh, well, Monty's coach. Oh, well, anyone could coach the Suns. Because what? Because the Suns have stars? Which, 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 which fucking way is it? Can't have it both ways. Monty should be coach of the year, but I'm glad he's not because it's a curse. Cam Johnson should be sixth man of the year, but he was hurt quite a bit towards the end and he had been starting for a little bit there. So I can actually understand Cam Johnson not winning sixth man of the year, but not because he's not the best sixth man in the league because he is. Cam Johnson is the best sixth man in the league. Cam Johnson is a person who could start on literally any team. And if you're coming off the bench for another team, then you're basically already one of the best six men in the league, and he clearly is the best six man in the league. Look at what he can do. He can fit in any team. He can shoot. He drives to the rim with authority and throws down vicious dunks. He is a very smart, heady defender who can switch across multiple positions and make your life difficult. He beat the Knicks by himself in a game where Julius Randle was physically trying to injure him. Cam Johnson is absolutely fucking amazing. When Cam came into the league, he was incorrectly billed as just a shooter. And he is so much more than that. And as he gains, you know, a little bit of a handle, and again, that off-the-dribble game, especially as he goes to the rack, he is going to be an expensive fucking player for the Suns to keep. So I hope Suns fans are enjoying this shit because, man, I don't know. I love Cam Johnson a lot, and I'm very concerned about where we may see him in the future because that dude, that dude may get paid very soon. So just enjoy your time with Cam Johnson because he is fucking amazing. I love the Suns and I'm so excited to go into this playoff run and I'm going to be doing podcasts all the time during these playoffs and we're going to talk about round one soon as we get to it. For now, I want to talk about a couple more things, Um, but truly, this Suns season has just been an incredible, incredible year. It is awesome to watch this team rise from the ashes to the best team in the league. And it is so exciting to think about what's going to happen over these playoffs in the years to come. And it is a magical time to be a Suns fan. And I just hope that all Suns fans enjoy this ride and take it in every single day, every moment, because it's a special time for us in the history of our team. And we'll talk more about it as we go. Again, a couple more things. I'm sure there were at least a couple people who wondered why I didn't record a podcast when Tom Brady retired. And it was because I was so blindsided by him retiring that I fell into a deep depression. (laughs) I really never thought that Tom would retire. Of course, I never thought he would leave the Patriots. So, you know, I, I have to prepare myself for these things. But I really didn't think he would ever retire after, you know, the way things ended. 
Um, you know, that, that, that Rams game was a tough way to end it. And I, I, I know he had nothing to prove to anybody, but it was a surprise to me that he would have retired. And I, truthfully, um, I actually started writing a new podcast series. I was going to do a whole sort of series about Tom Brady's career, about um, just add, from the perspective of a fan and go through that whole thing. And I started to work on it. And I was going to end it with how angry I was at him for retiring early or not telling us, blah, blah, blah. And then he came back. And then uh, luckily I didn't get too far into it. Um, But that is probably something that I will do when um, he does eventually retire. I'm prepared for this to be the final year now. I'm prepared for this to be the final tour. And I know that I've announced this idea. But now that I've announced it, if anyone does it, they're stealing from me. So whatever. And also that would mean... Uh, that would prove that people were listening to me. So that's that's something else. Uh, <laughs> I love to make jokes about my uh, lack of listenership. It's like the old anyone who watched Conan O'Brien in the 90s would know. And I'm guessing that people who watched Conan O'Brien in the 90s and people who listened to my podcast in 2022, the Venn diagram of that is like me and my best friend Keith. Anyway, in the center of that one. So the Tom Brady thing was weird to me. I really didn't see it coming. I didn't expect it. I was hurt by it. I couldn't believe he would just walk away like that. Now he's back. I'm excited. I am mentally prepared for this to be the last year, even if it isn't. I am ready. I'm definitely going to be doing again. I will do some sort of series of podcasts about him. You know, I I have a very long history with Tom Brady dating back to Michigan. And so that's kind of why I wanted to do it, because there's a lot to unpack for me as a fan over the years. And that's really the stuff I was going to talk about on the podcast. And I will still do that when he does eventually retire. But for now, I'm just going to enjoy this season, really take it in and enjoy what I think will be the final year of my favorite player in the history of any sport. You know, there will never be another Tom Brady. Devin Booker is the only thing that's even remotely close for me. Um, And so I'm always going to be very sad when that happens, but I'm much more emotionally prepared for it. And I'm going to be this year during Bucks games. I'm going to be, I'll probably be like after every game, just like, I'm going to just be gushing. You won't even want to listen to it. You'll be annoyed. But, you know, that's what it is. And speaking of Buccaneers, last thing. I love the Todd Bowles hiring. Um, You know, I don't... Bill Simmons is a little bit ridiculous, but he did keep insisting that Bruce Arians wasn't going to be coaching the Buccaneers. And what do you know? It it becomes the truth. And I, I, you know, I I said at the time I would have preferred Byron Leftwich, but I still love Todd Bowles. I think, you know, maybe this was the right hire. You know, Todd Bowles has been an NFL head coach. He's had that experience. Um, You know, he got the Jets to win like 10 games, which is a fucking miracle in and of itself. They didn't make the playoffs, but I mean, he did an incredible job of coaching up the Jets. You know, this is the Ryan Fitzpatrick. um, You know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick Jets was like uh, Eric Decker and, and whatnot. In any case, you know, he did a pretty damn good job and you know, you want someone who's had some experience and who maybe learned from things they did poorly in the past. Um, you know, this would be Byron's first job, and he would have done a great job with it for sure. But, you know, it seems like, you know, maybe they wanted to make sure they had someone with some experience who knew exactly what they were doing. And I think Todd Bowles is going to do an awesome job. I think the really cool thing about this hire is it's going to kind of let everyone do their thing. I think that Todd Bowles is going to be able to run his defense the way he wants to. And I think that it's going to let Brady and Leftwich run the offense the way they want to. And I think that it will very specifically let Leftwich, you know, trading wheels off. He's running the offense himself now. You know, I don't think that Todd Bowles is going to be 
um, you know, on him too much. I mean, you know, certainly Bruce was involved with the offense. He can say all he wants. I didn't do it, blah, blah, blah. It's Bruce Arians. Like, a lot of his concepts are there. But this is, at this point, very officially Byron Leftwich's offense. And I think that Todd Bulls, you know, Todd might be choosing, hey, we're going forward on fourth down, or we're not going on forward on fourth down, or whatever the case may be. Um, or, you know, this is, we want to do this, you know, we're kicking or whatever. You know, those things will be his decision, I think. But, obviously, but, you know, this is going to be Byron Leftwich's offense to run in the way he wants to run it. And it's going to be really exciting. You know, I think you can expect more input from Tom Brady, obviously. It's going to be an exciting year. I love the Russell Gage edition. You know, the Bucks have really loaded up. The NFC is weak. It's going to be a good year for, for the Buccaneers. And the question just becomes, how far can they take it? And what AFC team are they going to face in the Super Bowl? And that is the Bun Doctor Show. And I am proud to return with you. Please find someone you know and tell them you love them today. Because too many horrible things happen every day. And we just want to let everyone know in our lives that we care about them. Let's continue to make this a really great 2022. Let's kick so much ass in the world of loving, which is a weird sentence, but I enjoy it anyway. And uh, I can hear my kid crying, and I need to go run that down and see what's going on there. Love yourself. Love those around you. Take care of yourself. Peace to you and yours. I'll be back very soon.